we're going to invite Becky now to come and share what the Lord has laid upon her heart. So let's pray for you. Father God, we give thanks for the gift of Becky. And we give thanks for the gift of your word. And we pray now that those two things would come together as we hear the things that you have laid upon her heart. Pour blessing on her and us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kai. So if you were presented with a fruit bowl, what would you pick? Orange, banana, a few grapes. Chocolate orange doesn't count. It's not living in the fruit bowl. And I know that's disappointing for many of us, but it is what it is. You can choose one, not the whole bowl. And as Kai's mentioned, we are starting a new series about the fruit of the spirit. But we've got one central thing that we're going to remember as we go forward, and that is that these fruit of the spirit are fruit. Just that. Nine, but one fruit. We don't get to pick and choose. We can't get away with saying, oh, well, I'm a patient person, so I'll just ditch the other eight. As delightful for some of us in terms of not actually having to sort of try very hard or um, be particularly pleasant (laughs) to be around, it's not how it is, despite the fact that some of us might struggle with some of these things more than others. The single fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or the words that they've translated it in the version of the Bible that you've got in front of you, because I'm aware that the ones I've got are probably not what we just heard. I think one was different. It was one different word. But we're not thinking about this in isolation. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, And uh, it's um, one of the earlier of Paul's letters, and some would say it's the first. I'm not going to argue about that right now. I don't think that's what's important. But he's writing to a church who are made up of both Jews and non-Jews, people who would have been known as Gentiles. And there's an issue going on because the Gentile morality is seen by the Jews as inferior to theirs. And so there's been some difficulties as to sort of adjusting to this new way of doing life. It's likely that have been some of the problems that we see in um, 1 Corinthians when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. There were other factions, there is sort of behaviour that isn't glorifying God. They're kind of more so glorifying in their liberty and what they can do because they are free children of God. And the Jews were governed by the law. They had been, and some of them still very much were. And they wanted the Gentiles to kind of come into their crew, and they wanted to conform to their law in order to become Christians. And Paul is really kind of countering this pressure, because as we've seen, if you know much of this part of the Bible, kind of we go back and forth with this sort of, do the Gentiles have to do this, do they not? So prior to the part that we've just heard in chapter 5 of Galatians, we hear about how the grace and law interact. Paul is urging them not to go in being bound by the law, 
rather to live in God's freedom. And so that's where we pick up in verse 13 about how we are called to freedom. Now just think for a minute. How many of you have heard that phrase or something akin to it of just because you can doesn't mean you should? Yeah, Kai's nodding at me. Um, I think we can apply that to many different aspects of life. Let's not give some illustrations because it could get messy. But there are plenty of things where we could do something, but actually it's probably wise not to. So there's freedom, but we need to be sensible. How many of us take our freedom for granted? We can come to church however many times on a Sunday. Many of us don't have to kind of justify that to anyone. We don't have to kind of contend with anybody sort of trying to do us in for getting here. We're not kind of living under a a slavery of being meant to be being somewhere else or doing something else. But Paul is speaking when he's using this language of freedom and slavery to a group of people, many of whom would have had slaves or been slaves. We're not talking about the kind of the ethics of slavery, but that's the context that this passage is written into. And the Jews were slaves to the law, but they'd been freed by Jesus, so they were no longer bound by the law. Slaves not to the law, but slaves of Jesus, because for love's sake, a different type of freely accepted living for somebody else. A bit like a slave who had been freed, they were allowed to leave. But because they loved their master, they remained in that position. A very different type of relationship, a very different type of slavery, motivated by love and a place of love, driven by love, rather than fear. When I was preparing for this, um, one of the commentaries I was reading talked about love being the practical outworking of the law. Our response to Jesus' love. And Paul talks about works of the flesh. He's not just talking about what we eat and we drink, not just talking about sex and things like that. Rather, Paul is talking about Sarks, it's the Greek word, you might have heard about it, that translates flesh. And we're talking sort of all of human life, not just the kind of the actual physical, like, this is me. It's the what's going on in our heads, what's going on in our hearts. I need to not hit the microphone. But all sin, things that are contrary to how God would have us live, including those more kind of thought-based ones or those subtler ones, those things that perhaps we pass off a bit of gossip here or, a, oh, well, I'm, I'm just talking about this situation for somebody's good. We know the ones, envy, quarrels, things we might just accept. Paul doesn't accept them. They're in the same list as those things that we might kind of give a higher precedence for sin. And that's where he's drawing that contrast between living by the Spirit, living how God would have us live, 
and living according to the flesh, how we'd live in our humanity. Paul is quite clear that these two desires are kind of contrary. You can't do both of them at the same time. And I had to look this analogy up. I had a picture in my head of um, how if you'd put two magnets together, they repel each other. Somebody probably who's far more physics-y minded can tell me exactly what's happening. I had to check because I also thought that actually sometimes magnets stick to each other. Anyway, apparently, if they're the same poles, they repel each other. Okay, Andy's given me a nod. Google was right. Excellent. (laughs) But if that's what the picture came to mind, of if we try and live by both the spirit and the flesh, it just can't work. It's like putting those two magnets with the same pole, trying to push them together, because they just, they can't go together. It doesn't work. And so we're given a really stark warning in verse 21, that those people who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's, well, it's stark, isn't it? It's scary. Because in that list, it's not just the things that we kind of might see as massive issues. It's the things that probably many of us could be called out on on a fairly regular basis. But there is good news. First and foremost, that kingdom of God is being seen as the rule of God. And so we are not going to get it right all the time we can come back to jesus we can say we're sorry and we can be forgiven but we are we trying to live according to the rule of god life according to the spirit where god rules and where god reigns think of a country where the monarchy kind of really is that governing figure If they said that you couldn't do X in that country, that would be the final word. If they say to live here, you have to never cut your hair. I don't know. I'm assuming that isn't a thing, but we'll see. Somebody might tell me different. Um, But if um, the king or the queen of country X says you can never cut your hair, but I really want to then I'd have to leave. It's not compatible. You have to at least attempt to live by the rules of the rain. So what we're aiming for if we are followers of Jesus is to live life by the Spirit. Again, we're not talking about a mishap. We're not talking about getting things wrong. We all do we can come back and say sorry. But if we are just sort of being governed, being ruled by our human nature, then that's not being led by the Spirit. But it's this contrast, it's this tension, because we're not subject to the law because of Jesus. But it's also not a license for unadulterated self-indulgence and doing exactly what we feel like doing. So that is the baseline for when Paul introduces the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we've had fruit bowls, but what else do you think of when I say the fruit of the Spirit? I don't know how many of you um, have got a picture of a tree in your mind, possibly laden with words, 
Perhaps that's just because I've got a card that looks a bit like that. But if you have got a tree or a plant or something that's growing as a picture in your mind's eye, if you're wired that way, I think it's really helpful. Because the fruit that comes from whatever species of tree or plant is going to bear that fruit. The apple tree in the vicarage garden, I'd be really concerned about if it suddenly started sprouting oranges. If we had the weather for oranges, that I'd be less concerned about. It'd be nice, but we are in Wales, you can't get everything. If you had a pear tree, you wouldn't be expecting it to grow apples. Hopefully you get the picture. So those of us who are following Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, our fruit should be, if we're producing what we should be producing, is the fruit of the Spirit. All nine of them. Yep, humanly speaking, we might like to focus on a couple that we think we're better at. But it's not how it works. Because if you think about a tree, if it only um, had a ninth of the fruit that it was supposed to have, you'd look at it and think, what's wrong with that? If I was relying on that as my source of apples for crumble and whatever for the rest of the year, I would not be impressed. And I would think something needed doing. We are made to bear the fruit that we are created to do. And that, as Christians, is the fruit of the Spirit. I also like the idea of actually what happens before the fruit is we see the blossom. And that blossom should be a forerunner of what the fruit is. I can identify the apple tree in the garden when we first moved into the vicarage as an apple tree because I know what apple blossom looks like. It identifies us as what we are. Whereas in contrast to those whose fruit is works of the flesh, it also identifies those people as not belonging to God. Not saying they can't, they've always got that opportunity. Another way of looking at it is that actually the lack of transforming faith, that gift that we're giving, leads to a lack of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if we haven't got the Holy Spirit, then we don't get to bear the fruit of the Spirit. But in all of this, we're not trying to do this on our own. We're not like a tree plonked into the ground and never watered and never given any food. The only reason we can do this is because of the Holy Spirit in us. It's the Holy Spirit who leads to that transformation that means that we can grow that fruit Paul is no fool. We may or may not like his teaching. Sometimes he can be a bit blunt. But he is well aware that human inclination and natural inclination is to work to the flesh. He's not sort of slating us for that. It, it is as it is. But with the Holy Spirit in us, we can bear that fruit. And we have the freedom. We've been delivered from the flesh to do what God requires of us, to bear that fruit, to love one another. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you 
that we are not trying to do any of this in our own strength. Thank you that you have freed us from being bound. And Lord, just now, if there if there's things going on in our hearts where we don't feel free, I pray that you would just break it off. That you'd be like a gardener coming along with a pair of secateurs, snipping off the branches that don't bear fruit. That actually, if there's kind of dead wood in our lives, that, that it's not a scary thing to have that sort of cut off because... If something's already dead, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It's not going to have feeling in it. But Lord, that you would grow the gifts of the Spirit in us. That you would water us. You would give us the right light conditions, the perfect weather so that we would grow exactly as you have us to grow. Lord, in that picture of being rooted, would you help our roots to go really deep so that we can feed on you? So we just just have a moment of quiet and we let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Thank you, Becky.